Busey Wealth Management, we're proud to partner with individuals, families, and foundations, ensuring possibilities become achievements. From preserving and enhancing your assets to securing your legacy for future generations, we're focused on your success. Busey Bank, building business, growing wealth. Since 1868, member FDIC. Well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled to be with you. Came downtown today, get ready to do the show. And as uh, as I started to walk uh, over to the elevator to come up to the fourth floor studio here at beautiful 40 Monument Circle, I looked outside and noticed that the, the quadrant, so it would be the southwest quadrant of the circle, is uh, blocked off, and um, they're having something going on out there. Um, they're calling, I believe they're calling it Spark on the Circle, and and it's kind of neat. They've got they've got great big circles of uh, artificial turf they've put down, and this is right in the street, going around the circle. The sidewalk's open, as usual, but out in the public street. They've got uh, a bunch of, of artificial turf laid down. Showing my age, I always want to call it AstroTurf. But uh, they've got ping pong tables. Uh, they've got a couple food trucks um, selling beer, selling Sun King beer and a couple different kinds of wine uh, down there and food. And uh, and they got big Adirondack chairs and, and umbrellas set up. And I'm a big fan of those kind of chairs. I've, I've got a couple sit out in front of my office in Carmel called my cigar chairs. And uh, so if you're driving through Carmel some sometime around 6 p.m. or so, you may see me out there smoking a cigar uh, at the end of the day. And uh, anyway, it looks like a cool event. But when I saw this, and I saw they had the circle blocked off doing what I do for a living and being interested in the Second Amendment issues that I am, and having speculated um, a little bit here on this show, plus in talking to Hammer and Nigel about this on Monday Gunday on the Hammer and Nigel show, um, we heard they were going to start blocking off a, a quadrant of the circle. And my speculation was, and again, I've talked about this on the radio, my, my speculation was they were going to block it off, they're going to fence it in, they're going to put up metal detectors, and they were going to call it a, a gun-free zone. And and we've heard Joe Hogsett and others in uh, city administration here talk about you know creating more gun-free zones. Talk about Broderpool and where we are on that, because the Broderpool Village Association came out and said they wanted to make Broderpool a gun-free zone. And Mayor Hogsett had a presser on a Sunday. I think it was two weeks ago. On a Sunday, came out and said, "Oh yeah, we're going to do this. It's going to move forward. We're going to approve a permit, quote unquote." to block off areas of Broderpool and make them gun-free zones. And uh, I've been on a couple different TV stations. I've talked about it here, talking about whether or not they may face legal challenges because the city of Indianapolis can't take big chunks of city property, whether it's the streets and public sidewalk in, in Broderpool or whether it's the street on a quadrant of Monument Circle and just say, well, you can't carry a gun here. Generally speaking, why can't they do that? They can't do that because there's a law in Indiana we've had since 2011. It's called the Indiana Firearms Preemption Act. And it says that local governments, like the city of Indianapolis, generally speaking, can't regulate firearms. And within that, they can't regulate the possession or carrying of firearms. So, for instance, if there's a 
an ordinance, and there used to be, said you can't carry a gun in a city park in Indianapolis. That's illegal. By the way, about every time I've mentioned this, I've had somebody go out on social media and say, oh, I've seen signs up. Well, if you've seen signs up, it's illegal. And the city, the parks department, part of the city, can be sued for that. But the reason I've speculated they were still going to do it with respect to the, the quadrant here of the circle or why I thought they may decide to move forward with what they were publicly saying they were going to do in Broderpool is because there's an exception to the preemption statute. And a lot of us kind of jokingly refer to this as the Jimmy Ursay exception because during the debate over the preemption statute and the Indiana Association of Cities and Towns, I mean, they don't want to see any diminishment in the, the regulatory power, the authority of local governments. That's who they represent. So they were there fighting very hard against this. They realized there was a lot of momentum behind it, and it was likely going to pass in some form, and so they started fighting for exceptions. And one of those exceptions was based on Jimmy Ursay coming out saying, hey, hold on, you know, I'm a two-way guy, I support Second Amendment rights, but I don't want guns at Colts games. And then the RCA Dome, now Lucas Oil Stadium, they're owned by the city of Indianapolis. So the city of Indianapolis can't take property they own and say, absent the exceptions we're talking about, you can't have a gun there. It's illegal under the preemption statute. And the whole idea behind the preemption statute is that we have enough laws at the state and federal level that regulate firearms. We don't need every city in town and county and airport authority and housing authority, and every other unit of local government regulating firearms. It would create this ridiculous patchwork, hodgepodge, of gun regulations that nobody could ever keep track of. Wait a minute, what's legal in Speedway versus what's legal in downtown Indy? What's legal in Lawrence versus the rest of Indianapolis? I mean, it, it's just it would be ridiculous and silly, and a lot of states have a, exactly that. Confusing, ridiculous, inconsistent patchwork of regulation nobody can keep track of. And Senator Jim Toms down from southwest Indiana, Poseyville, said, you know what? A lot of states are passing these preemption laws. We need to get on board. And we did that in 2011. So during that process, Jim Mercier came out and said, well, what about Colts games? And so they created an exception that says that the organizer or promoter of an event who leases property from a political subdivision, we call it. That's a unit of local government, like the city of Indianapolis. If they lease property from a political subdivision, a unit of local government, in order to hold an event as the organizer or promoter of that event on otherwise city property that's now leased to that private promoter or organizer, they can prohibit firearms, and the city can help them. In other words, IMPD officers can be right there by the metal detector saying you can't bring your gun in here. So my first thing I did when I got down here, and I didn't know this was going on today. I didn't know until I walked in the building here at 40 Monument Circle. I said, okay, that was kind of cool. I saw people playing ping pong in the food truck and lounging around in these big chairs that looked really comfy. And I'm like, oh, look, this whole thing looks cool. But I wanted to run out there and see if they had it all fenced off and metal detector stuff. <laughs> and then I was going to explore, is this the city doing this? Or is there a private organizer and promoter who's now leased the city property in this quadrant of the circle? Well, it turns out to be a moot discussion because they don't have it blocked off. And they don't have metal detectors, and it's open. You can walk onto there. It's the, it's the quadrant on the southwest side between Meridian on the south and Market Street on the west. And it really... Uh, I, I like it. It's a little disappointing because that's where a lot of my, my brothers and sisters on motorcycles like to park on on a Saturday evening right here during the show. And a lot of times, if I, if I ride to Harley down here, I'll, I park right out there with them. It's kind of fun. Well, that's all blocked off to traffic. But a similar thing in that what have you heard about Broderville being a, a gun-free zone? Since this big announcement, this big dramatic presser by Mayor Hogsett, oh, yeah, they cut down on people carrying guns, where he blamed crime in Indianapolis, get this, on the, on the dramatic increase in the number of people who've had, ha, who have handgun licenses. 
How ridiculous is that? People that have passed a background check and gotten their handgun license. Or, or he said, oh, well, and then and that was even before constitutional carry. The only people that can carry under constitutional carry are law-abiding citizens who aren't prohibited by federal or state law from carrying guns. You think those are the people shooting people in Broderpool? Seriously. Do you think, Mayor Hogsett, do you think those are the people, the people you're blaming, are really responsible for crime in Indianapolis? Are you nuts? Well, you can't admit the truth. You can't admit the truth, which is that the Marion County criminal justice system keeps spitting the same violent offenders back out onto the street. And what continues to be the revolving door of the criminal justice system. We can't take responsibility for that. So you're going to blame it on constitutional carry or people that have gun license, handgun licenses? Seriously? And those are the people you're going to target by, by blocking off areas of Broderpool? Well, interestingly enough, they haven't done that. And he made it sound, this is what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when they had, they had four people shot, three of them died, 2 a.m., right there at, at Broderpool Avenue or 62nd Street in Guilford. Right by where the construction's going on. They had four people shot, three of them died. And it's a horrible tragedy. And they said, we've got to do something about this. So what are you going to do? You're going to punish law-abiding gun owners? And that's going to cut down on crime and broader? Does that make any sense? But they haven't done that. I think they haven't done it in part because they can't figure out the logistics of it. I mean, how do you block off big chunks of broader with all the side streets and the businesses that have back doors where you can walk right in the back door and then walk out the front door? You know, block off all those side streets. You can have metal detectors at every one of them. You're going to man and all those. You're going to staff all of those. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know that they figured out the logistics. Plus, blocking off big chunks of broader bowl and just declaring it a gun-free zone is dramatically different than when the city leases Lucas Oil Stadium to the Colts for a football game. In other words, What's the event going on when bars and restaurants and other businesses in Broderpool are just doing business as usual on a Friday, Saturday night? Because that's when they're talking about doing it. What the, what the hell's the event? I mean, you're trying to shoehorn yourself into an exception that shouldn't apply. But at any rate, um, we haven't seen that go forward. We didn't see the quadrant blocked off with, with metal detectors and declared a gun-free zone. And you know what? Strangely... People are out there, they're having a nice time, they got smiles on their faces, they're enjoying the ping pong and the food trucks. Now, it's early. It's 518. We'll see what happens uh, late at night, although I don't imagine the event's going to go on all that long. We'll see, we'll see what goes. But I just think it's interesting because the city appears to have backed off on some of these plans for quote-unquote gun-free zones, and I think that's part because they realize, at least as to Broderpool, is not logistically feasible. And I think to both of these, they realize they could have some substantial legal problems. And somebody, and I can't imagine who it might be, might just sue their butts if they try to use an exception that doesn't really apply. But with that, we'll take a break. We're a little past the quarter hour. I want to continue to take your calls, as we always do. 317-239-9393. When we come back, I'm going to go into a conference that I attended last Sunday. I went to one three-hour presentation, and I talked about it a little bit on the show last week. I hadn't been to it yet. I talked about how the National Association of School Resource Officers were in town. And I was going to attend a program by a retired lieutenant colonel named Ed Monk, who's now a police officer, on on mass shootings, and particularly school shootings. And i got to tell you, I went to this. You know, it was three and a half hours almost on a Sunday afternoon. My wife wasn't all that thrilled that I was going to take off on a Sunday and go to this seminar. But I got to tell you, it was one of the most powerful, impactful educational experiences uh, that I've ever experienced. And 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 it was um, it was fantastic. And I'm going to go into some of what I learned. I thought I knew more than I did. It's one of my favorite quotes, one of my all-time favorite quotes. Education is the progressive discovery of your own ignorance. Everything you learn, you realize how much there is out there that you don't know. And that's exactly how I felt in this conference because um, it was tremendously educational. Based on 15 years of research, it was great, great stuff. And again, want to take your calls, 317-239-9393. Call in and join the Gun Guy Show. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. 
And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you joined us. And again, last Sunday, so six days ago, I attended a presentation uh, by retired Lieutenant Colonel, uh, served multiple combat tours uh, in Afghanistan and and Iraq. Uh, He came back after a long distinguished military career, actually became a high school teacher. And he taught high school for just a couple of years. And while he was teaching high school, I believe this was in Arkansas, he went through some of the instruction, I don't know if you could call it training, on the school's plan for dealing with a potential school shooting. And what he was told by the school administrators where he worked is that he should he should take all the kids and herd them back into a corner of the classroom and have them crouch in the corner of the classroom all huddled together. And this is a guy with combat military experience. And he thought, and well, his quote from the class is he said, if you really wanted to help a school shooter, maximize his, his fatalities or casualties in that mass shooting. If you really wanted to help him, kill and wound as many people as possible. He said, short of pulling your own gun and start shooting people too, you know, the worst possible thing or the most effective thing you could do to help a school shooter is to put everybody together in a corner where, where you don't even have to aim your gun. You just walk in and blindly point your gun at all these people huddled together and start pulling the trigger. And you're going to kill a tremendously high number of people because they're all huddled right there together. He said it was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He said, I, I voiced that to the administration and said, why would we do this from a defense standpoint, from a combat standpoint? It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, that's what all the schools are teaching. That's what we do. And not long after that, he ended up actually leaving the teaching profession and became a cop. And as a cop, obviously very interested in active shooter response. And how they may, might respond as police officers to a, a school shooting in their jurisdiction. And what he then did is he launched into what has become a 15-year process of studying every mass shooting in the United States forever. Every single one. And I had lunch with, uh, with, with, with Officer Monk, I guess now before his presentation. And we had a long lunch, hour and a half or more, and he wanted to know a lot of the details about uh, the shooting in the Greenwood Park Mall that involved my client, Eli Dickin. And there were some things he hadn't seen published, and because he, he does a deep, deep drill on every one of these. And he wanted to get as much information as he possibly could about Greenwood. And Eli's authorized me to talk about all of that. Eli has no interest in speaking publicly about it, and I completely respect that, but he's authorized me to talk about it to my heart's content. And so I had a great lunch and then was able to go to this, even though it was really just for cops. I'd say it was 95% cops and there were some school administrators. And I'm not a member of the National Association of, of School Resource Officers, but I, but, but I was allowed to go as Ed's guest. And it was, it was amazing. Again, as I said before the break, man, everything you learn, you learn how much it is you really don't know. And, and, you know, and, and as someone who, who fights for Second Amendment rights, fights for gun rights, Opposes things like an assault weapon ban, quote unquote. Again, every time I say assault weapon, I get I get hateful responses on social media and whatnot and say, that's a made up political term. I know. I've said that more times than you can count. Carl's over there laughing, the producer going, oh my God, guy says that every time. But that's what they're called when they introduce them. So we'll go with that nomenclature as silly as it might be. You know, and I've fought against things like mandatory waiting periods and other forms of gun control. People say, well, well, you don't care about school shootings. You don't care about our children dying. You care more about the NRA and, 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 and gun sales and putting money in the pockets of gun shops and gun manufacturers than you do about our children's safety. Was that true? No, I just don't believe any form of gun control have any effect whatsoever on keeping our school children safe. And all you're doing is restricting the rights of law-abiding citizens in the process. 
So I vehemently oppose those things. But I've had longstanding theories on how you can impact both the frequency and the severity of any mass shooting, including school shootings. And I've talked about that here on the show. I'm going to talk about it when we come back from this break. And, and, and nothing that I believed before was completely inconsistent with what I learned last Sunday from, from Officer Monk, Lieutenant Colonel Monk's presentation, but I learned so much more, and I want to go into some of that. And listen, if you've got kids in school, you're on a school board, you're a school administrator, uh, uh, you need this information. And in fact, any, every school board in America ought to have Lieutenant Colonel Monk come in and give this presentation. It is that important. It's that powerful. And I'll explain why when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. We had a couple of people call uh, and ask, uh, ask questions but didn't want to go on the air. Uh, if you want to join the discussion, we're always happy to have you. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guys Show on 93 WIBC. I'm talking about mass shootings and school shootings in particular. And listen, as I mentioned before the break, you know, people say, oh, well, you oppose gun control, therefore you're fine with our kids getting murdered in school. No, just exactly the opposite. I just have an informed opinion about what does and doesn't work and stripping the rights away from law-abiding citizens has never been an effective way to curb any kind of violence, including mass shootings. That just gets proven over and over, and it was proven even more when I attended this three-hour presentation based on 15 years of the study of mass shootings by Lieutenant Colonel Ed Mung. But I've been saying for years, rather than just saying, oh, well, I don't have a plan, I don't have any suggestions, I just oppose gun control. I've never been that guy. If you oppose one solution, one purported, maybe idiotic, but at least alleged solution, you ought to have a better alternative. Well, I agree with that. So I've said, look, there are a number of different areas where we can either prevent or minimize the impact of a school shooting. Any mass shooting. And 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 what it, one is is outright prevention in in the form of what I call risk identification. That is, you you identify a kid who's at risk, not just a kid, any person who may be the next mass shooter. Because you know what? Every single time we have one of these, every single time. People come out of the woodwork and say, oh, yeah, well, I thought if we ever had a mass shooting, it'd be him. Oh, yeah, if I ever thought somebody was going to shoot up our school, I thought it'd be him. The kid in Parkland, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooter. And again, I don't name these people. To hell with them. They're seeking notoriety. They want to be famous. Now, they're not going to get that through me. Whatever little minor <laughs> contribution they want from me, they're not going to get. But you know that you know what they called that kid. You know what his nickname was in that high school in Parkland, the crazy kid. They called him the crazy kid, and he had posted on social media he wanted to be a professional sh uh, school shooter, quote unquote. the The police had been to his house mult a multitude of times. I'm talking about dozens of times. The the Aurora, Colorado theater shooter during the Black Knight, had a long history of mental illness. And people knew it. People talked about it. People talked about his propensity for violence. And this goes on and on and on. Invariably, these are troubled people. The worst school shooting in history, Virginia Tech. 
person who committed that shooting was known to authorities. My recollection is he was actually reported by mental health professionals saying, this guy's a risk. Because get this, the, the doctor-patient privilege notwithstanding, they have a professional obligation if they think someone's an immediate risk to themselves or others. So it's risk identification. When people talk about see something, say something, you hear ads right here on WIBC for that. Yes, it's risk. Identify these people. Get them the help they need. If they've committed crimes, get them arrested before they commit a horrible crime like a massacre in a mall or a school. It's risk identification and developing a culture where we're not afraid to do that, to say somebody needs to look into this guy, this person, because they're a potential risk to the community, including our schools or other public areas. So it's that. Then let's say we don't identify that risk. We fail in that area. The community fails. Whether it's mental health professionals, police officers, private citizens, classmates, teachers, whoever it is, we've all failed. All right. And, and, and maybe some don't give all the warning signals. What then? I've always said, keep them out of the damn school. If we're going to talk about schools in particular, let's harden schools. People say, oh, I want my kid going to, to a school that feels like a prison. Really? How much do you complain we have to go through security at the airport? when there's armed guards standing around. Is that really a burden for you? How much do you oppose the idea of walking into your bank where there's armed security? How opposed are you to the idea that you can't get back into the vault where the money is because it's a vault? Or that the jewels are, are securely stored at a jewelry store. Do you really have a problem with that? Or that politicians go to work, whether it's the state house, whether it's Congress, whether it's any other unit of government, Joe Hogg's in the city county building. You can't just walk in and see him. You can't walk through an unlocked door. People keep you out. People with guns keep you out. Let's make guns as, as secure. Let's protect kids as well as we protect our money or our politician or our jewelry or travelers in an airport. Why are we so opposed to that? Well, I just don't want to live in that world. You know what? And I'll, I'm going to get back to this presentation. One of the first things Lieutenant Colonel Monk said, in order to formulate any kind of a plan or strategy for preventing school shootings or minimizing casualties, there's one fundamental step you have to make. And if you're not willing to do this, you're not going to get there. Because any plan based on hope and dreams and naivete is a failed plan. He said the first step in developing any, any plan to prevent school shootings or to minimize casualties at school shootings is to admit that the world is not as you wish it to be. You have to realize it's not nirvana, that there are dangerous, evil people out there. There is evil in this world. And to sit around and say, well, I don't want to live in a world that, well, you know what? If you're alive, it's the world you live in and exit some intentional exit from this world. Guess what? Wake up. And this, I don't want to live in a world argument. I hear that all the time when I was arguing for House Bill 1177, the teacher training bill that we passed this year. We, I had school administrators, parents, school board members, moms, stand up and say, I don't want to live in a world that, you know what, every time I wanted to stand up, and I would never do this, it'd be discourteous, and I would never do it in a million years, but everything in me wanted to stand up and go, wake up, it's the world you live in. The I don't want to live in a world that, whatever comes after that is irrelevant, because who cares what you want? We live in a world where there is evil, where there's psychosis, where there's religious fanaticism and terrorists. That's the world we live in. Wake up. And when, when Lieutenant Colonel Monk put that slide up, first step in developing any plan is you must come to the realization that the world is not as, as you wish it to be. And any plan based on hope and naivete is a failed plan. That's a beautiful thing. And that's where we're going to 
pick up when we come back from this break. Uh, I've had some folks call in. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. We've got a little bit of a short segment here at the top of the hour, but I'll tell you what, several people have called in. If we don't get to you this segment, um, have a little patience. Hang on during the break at the top of the hour. We'll get to you right when we come back. But John called in. John, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Yeah, I'm like everyone else. I'm quite offended and appalled by the uh, five-year-old blown away his uh, four-year-old sister. And I'm just kind of wondering, how long do I have to pick up the bill for irresponsible gun owners? I mean, I've seen it so many times. Guy buys a gun, doesn't know what he's doing. Well, you think, John, you think this person's going to get a free pass for that, the gun owner in that case? You say you're picking up the bill. I don't know what you're doing to pick up the bill, but okay. Uh, Why why do you think this uh, parent or otherwise is going to get a free pass? Do you know that? Who's going to pay for his prison sentence, prison stay? I am. Well, well, no, no. I mean, let me tell you how that works, John. I mean, you seem to think that none of the people are ever punished. When you, when, when, when you intentionally leave a gun where it's accessible to a minor and they hurt themselves, people are getting prosecuted for neglect of a dependent. And where there's serious injury or death, that, that can be a felony. And people go to prison, John. They're not getting a free pass. I don't know where you come up with that. And, 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 and secondly, there are crime, separate crimes. There's, neg- there's, there's um, dangerous control of a child, which has to do with providing a firearm to a child under dangerous circumstances. There are, cr- there are crimes already on the book, but neglect is the one primarily used. And there's criminal recklessness with a deadly weapon. I'm defending one of those right now. It's nowhere close to this case because, in this case, my client did absolutely nothing wrong. And it's still getting prosecuted because it's a prosecutor that's just vindictive as to gun owners. So, but this idea of a free pass, John, it doesn't exist. I don't know where you pick that up. So you're picking up the bill. I don't know how the hell you're picking up that bill um, because here's a, a person who's getting prosecuted and, and uh, in all likelihood. I haven't, I haven't heard the announcement of charges, but I will be shocked if they're, if they're not. And what I would never do is just assume that, there's going to be no charges. So I don't know. It, it, people people seem to think when something bad happens, there's no law against it. Well, there are laws against it, and people get prosecuted for those laws. And, you know, and, and what, what, if they already violated a law, what should we do, John? Should we just pass more laws? That'll be, that'll be great when, when the laws that already exist weren't followed. So it's, this idea of a free pass um, is non-existent. I'm a little tired of hearing it. I'll tell you what, we've got... Uh, only about a minute, but Tom, you called in. Uh, you got a quick question for us? Uh, yes. About those judges and DAs who release violent offenders soon after the offenders are apprehended, could those judges and DAs be called aiders and abettors of criminals? No. No, there's there's no theory there, brother. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, but when they make those kind of decisions as part of their job, uh, there's immunity for that. Uh, there's what's called tort claims immunity. Um, for doing their jobs that we can criticize. And, you know, uh, and, and, and a lot of the county prosecutors are elected, right? Ryan Mears won re-election by a wide margin here in Marion County. Could have been elected out. That's how that's how we respond. The, the criminal charges, that ain't, ain't going to happen. And certainly not against judges uh, either um, who are doing their job to their best ability. We just happen to disagree with how they do it. But when folks are elected, hey, man, the, the remedies of the ballot box. In the meantime, we're coming up on the top of the hour. It's time to take a break. If you're still on hold, we'll get to you right after the, the, the top of the hour. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. Appreciate you listening. And uh, we're going to go back to the phone lines. I just had somebody send me a link where there apparently was a shooting today in Fort Wayne, Indiana, at the Glenbrook Mall. 
Initial reports are, though, that it is not a mass shooting, uh, based on early reports anyway. Uh, calls came in uh, to 911 about 3.30, and most folks were saying that one person has been shot in that mall um, and um, and it being described as having non-life-threatening injuries. Now, that's all very early reporting, and that's coming from uh, WANE uh, Channel 15 in Fort Wayne, wayne.com. So... Uh, that's good news because when you man, when you see that headline, and uh, it says you know shooting in mall things like that, that's just so incredibly scary. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about mass shootings. And as I went into before the break, you know I, I'm not silent on 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 ways to minimize these, to prevent them, and or to minimize the casualties if they occur. And I went through my first two steps which are prevention in terms of risk identification. Find these people, identify these people. Because invariably, there are all these warning signs. So let's get them help. If they committed crimes, let's get them arrested. Yes, however you feel about red flag laws, those red flags, flag laws exist across the country. They exist here in Indiana. And you can separate someone who's dangerous from their gun. Uh, there's a lot of danger. There are a lot of constitutional issues with red flag laws. You're depriving someone of constitutional rights who hasn't been committed of a crime or convicted of a crime, I should say. But those are on the books, and they're enforceable today. And in one of my cases, Indiana Court of Appeals held our statute to be constitutional, and we've since improved it dramatically since then, which I was involved in. So identification, then let's harden the schools, let's keep them out of schools. But the, the presentation that I attended last Sunday at the National Association of School Resource Officers, it was so incredibly powerful and informative, put on by a retired lieutenant colonel, now a cop, been a cop now for 14 years, who's been studying mass shootings for 15 years, um, really focused on the last step I always thought about, which is, okay, we haven't identified them as a risk. They got into the school. What now? And 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 he to some degree minimized certainly the hardening of schools. And he talked about how people said, "Well, lock the doors. The doors should be locked." People got you know upset. I was one of them. We talked about this the shooting in Uvalde, where somebody left a, a door unlocked and a shooter came in the the locked door. Or people say, well, they ought to lock the doors to the classrooms. Well, I, you know, he, he, in this presentation, showed us the shooter at the Covenant School in Nashville. Those doors were locked. She shot her way in. This was a transgender who was, uh, was a female. She just shot through the doors. In Sandy Hook, that shooter shot through the doors. In Parkland, Florida, and, 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 and there was an amazing uh, documentary right now. I just watched it. My wife put it on last night, I want to say, on Amazon. But it was uh, a documentary on Parkland. A lot of interviews, kids that were in there, parents, police officers, teachers, and a lot of video. There was a lot of view of this shooter, and I actually saw a lot of it in the same presentation that I'm talking about. Those... Classrooms were locked, but they had windows in them. And the shooter, he killed most kids just shooting through the windows of the classrooms. Doors were locked, but the glass wasn't bulletproof. He just shot through the windows, killed a lot of kids, killed 17, wounded 17 more. So locking the doors to the school, locking the doors of classrooms only go so far we say, well, they all need school resource officers. He went through all the schools that had school resource officers and still had tremendous fatalities and other casualties of folks wounded. He, you know, Columbine, Parkland, and countless others. He would put up a slide. He'd show 15 school shootings where they had a school resource officer. And then he'd talk about what the school resource officers did in each one of those. Now, in Parkland, a school resource officer, a school resource officer never entered the building. He went and hid behind his car. Never went in the building. 
in Columbine, school resource officer outside the building, exchanged gunfire outside the building with those two shooters. The two shooters went, then went in the school, started murdering people, and the school resource officer stayed outside to help police establish a perimeter. What the hell's a perimeter going to do? You worried about another mass shooter going in the school? No, you get your ass in the school and you stop the shooting. You stop the innocent loss of lives. You find the threat, you eliminate the threat. That's your job. That's what you've signed on to do as a school resource officer. And that's the protocol since Columbine. First officer, whether it's a school resource officer or responding officer, you go in the school, you find the threat, you eliminate the threat. You step over bleeding kids. As hard as that might be, because more kids are getting shot. More kids are dying. They showed a a police officer in Parkland. He showed up. There was a wounded kid who was hopping down the stairs trying to get out. He then took that kid, took him over to the baseball diamond, and stayed with that kid. Well, that's great, and I'm sure that kid appreciated it. What about the kids who got shot in the school after that, when you were an armed police officer in the school? Now, am I doing armchair quarterbacking? Yes. Am I being unfair? Perhaps. But that the protocol is absolutely you don't administer first aid. As as difficult as that might be for us to get our heads around, you find the threat, you eliminate the threat. So a lot of schools had school resource officers. A lot of schools had locked doors. A lot of schools had locked classrooms. And they still suffered dozens and dozens of casualties. So what's the plan? What should we be focused on? I'll go into that here after this next break. But in the meantime, I'll tell you what. Uh, Karen has been on hold forever, and she's got a little bit, I think, of an unrelated question, but I wanted to answer her question before we go into this next break and then get back into really the tremendous learnings that I had at this conference. But Karen, uh, thanks for your patience and being on hold, but you had a question for me? Oh, I appreciate you taking my call. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, uh, I worked at the airport, accidentally took an unloaded gun in. (laughs) Yeah, My purse didn't even make it through security. They found it. I was shocked that I had it. No bullets, nowhere, nothing, because I just got it back from being cleaned. I don't even know if it even works because it was so rusty, and I had to clean it up, right? Okay. And I lost my job. Oh, and no. um, And they, the uh, airport police picketed me, didn't arrest me, and I had not heard nothing from Mr. Mears over this and this was since last september yeah and they uh, still have my gun yeah well it's um it, it's a it's a new and a little bit different process and i've handled dozens and dozens of these karen um but what's going on is that and this can take a long time well, well i'll tell you what let me let me ask first um did you hear from tsa did you get what's called a notice of violation from tsa I got a ticket from the police officer that uh, arrested. Yeah, no, he no, didn't I'm, arrest me. He just gave me a ticket. No, I'm talking about something that comes certified mail from uh, the Transportation Safety Administration, the federal agency. Have you seen anything from them yet? No. Um, okay. They say this has happened to other people, and Mr. Mears handles it. One guy, uh, he talked to him. He said, hire a lawyer. I can't talk to you. So the guy hired a lawyer. The lawyer talked to Mr. Mears, and he got his gun back, and everything was settled. No, no. Yeah, well, uh, let me tell you exactly how that works. Um, First of all, you should still, and a lot of times these are really, really late. I've had people get them a year after the event or even more. One was close to two years. But you'll get a notice of violation from the Transportation Safety Administration, and they'll propose a big fine, something like three, dollars $4,000. And then they'll offer to accept half of it if you pay it right away. Or you can request an informal conference. Uh, I've done a lot of those for people, and I can usually get them down a little bit more than that. Down around 1500 bucks is kind of the best I've been doing here lately on those. As to the Marion County prosecutor, what, what, what you're hearing there is that if you're represented by counsel, that's what um, the whoever it was was telling you, if you have a lawyer, 
then the deputy prosecutor uh, assigned to these cases, and they, they tend to cycle through prosecutors pretty quickly on this issue, but um, I've, I've handled, again, dozens and dozens of these. What they will do is they will have you in and with your lawyer. They won't do it if you're not represented because if it all goes south and they charge you with a crime, they don't want to say they took advantage of somebody who wasn't represented. But if you have a lawyer, they'll bring you in. They'll hear your story about how the gun accidentally ended up in your purse in this case, you know, and, and I've handled these, you know, backpack, briefcase, you name it, fanny pack. And if they believe your story that it was accidental and inadvertent, then they'll actually give you what's called a no prosecution letter that says that they're not pressing charges. And then you can, once you've got that letter, you can call the uh, airport police because the good news is they keep those guns out at the airport. They don't send them down to the property room in Marion County where they can disappear for years. Uh, they keep them at the airport, and the airport police are a lot better about keeping guns secure and taking better care of them. Um, and you can make an appointment once you have your no prosecution letter and go back out to the airport and pick up your gun. Um, but that all starts with um, um, getting a notice, usually a letter from the assistant prosecutors, not from Ryan Mears himself, the elected prosecutor. It's from an assistant who handles these, who says, if you're represented, we'll have you in and we'll hear your story. And it doesn't surprise me. It's been a really long time. I mean, several months uh, because they tend to run really late. And the TSA runs really, really late, too. But what I would fully expect is you'll get a notice of violation from TSA, and then you get a letter from the prosecutor's office. And like I said, I've handled a lot of those. If there's anything I can do to help you on that, yeah, give me a call. Just look me up at RelfordLaw.com. We're a little past the quarter hour. We're taking a break. We'll come back. We'll go back to my learnings of uh, about school shootings and mass shootings in general um, that I learned at the National Association of School Resource Officer Conference, and in particular, a great, great presentation that I heard from a gentleman, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Ed Monk. We get into that when we come back. So, Sky Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So, what I learned at this conference on school shootings. Here's the takeaway from retired Lieutenant Colonel Ed Monk, and that is that a determined school shooter is going to get in the school. Unless doors and windows are bulletproof, he's going to either get into classrooms or be able to shoot into classrooms, like in Parkland where they shot through windows, windows of the classrooms. So... What then should our objective be? Because people talk, well, we need to prevent school shootings. What do you hear from politicians all the time? Well, if we just ban assault weapons, we'll prevent school shootings. Does that make any sense? Now, does anybody believe that? Or are they using the school shooting context as an excuse for their political platform? It's clearly the latter. And by the way, he went through 14 school shootings where so-called assault weapons were not used, where they had more casualties than Parkland. And again, it's the Parkland shooting with 34 casualties, 17 killed, that sparked a lot of the gun control discussion that we've seen in recent years. After the so-called March for Our Lives, remember that? The Parkland kids on the cover of Time magazine. And we're going to prevent school shootings. Well, the worst school shooting in U.S. history at Virginia Tech was done with two handguns. 32 people killed. Worst one ever. And again, he, went, he, he showed us on a slide, 14 school shootings. There was no assault weapon. And, and, and the takeaway at the bottom of the slide was, it doesn't matter the gun involved. What matters is being able to end that mass shooting as quickly as possible. It's time. He said there are two things that should go into any plan to minimize casualties at a school, at a school shooting. If your goal is zero, it's unrealistic. That was a wake-up call. Again, I'm sitting in a big room. It was packed. It was standing room only. At the JW Marriott downtown, big conference room. 
If your goal is zero, that's not realistic. If you're planning for zero, it's not going to happen. You have a failed plan. What should your goal be? As a, someone gets into your school with a shooting, with, with a gun, and they're shooting students or staff or both, the most realistic goal you can have is to have single-digit casualties. That is, single-digit people getting shot. And again, wake-up call. We're looking around going, oh, my God. Single digits, you're still talking about up to nine? That's still horrible. And here's, he said the controlling factors in how many people die in a school shooting. He said time and math. It's all about time and math. That's the only thing that matters, the only things that matter. Time and math. What does he mean by that? He's looked at every school shooting in the history of America, and he said, here's what we know. The number of people that die is directly dependent on the amount of time a shooter has in the school uninterrupted, unconfronted. And the only way you have a reasonable plan to minimize casualties, keep it under double digits, is to have someone who's armed and not only capable but willing Again, capable and willing, two important words. If you have an armed school resource officer who hides behind his car during the entire shooting, like happened in Parkland, not going to help much. You can have a, a, a school resource officer who never goes in the building at all. Like in Columbine, not going to help you a lot. So you need an armed individual who's capable and willing, and these are... His words, the presenter, retired Lieutenant Colonel Ed Monk, willing and able to deliver vicious, vicious, brutal, deadly force to that shooter within 30 seconds of the first shot. Within 30 seconds of the first shot. That's how you have a reasonable plan to keep casualties in a school shooting to under double digits. And a lot of people are looking at each other going, 30 seconds? How incredibly fast is that? And how do you accomplish that? How do you have a plan that has any hope of accomplishing that? You can have three school resource officers in a in a, in the building, and they could still be five, six, seven minutes from finding the shooter and delivering that deadly force. But if you just have a school resource officer somewhere on campus, and he had an answer for that, he says, yeah, someone not only armed, but willing and capable, has to be where they can see or hear the first shot from that shooter when it's delivered. To hear or see it themselves. They don't get a radio call. They don't get a phone call. They don't get a 911 call. They see or hear it themselves. And they then have to be in a place where they can deliver that vicious, brutal, deadly force within 30 seconds of that first shot. That's the only hope you have to keep casualties under double digits in a school shooting. And what's that based on? 15 years of studying every school shooting in America. He said it's about time and math. He goes, it's not about politics. It's not about gun control. It's not about hope. He goes, hey, you know, hope. You know, fight for whatever your political agenda might be. But that isn't going to sustain your students in a school shooting. It's not going to minimize casualties in a school shooting. Your plan has to be based on two things, time and math. And he went through it and he said, based on his study of every school shooting in America, he shows that if you allow a shooter one minute uninterrupted in a school, that's time. The math from looking at every one of these school shootings is that they will kill 12 people in one minute. And it goes up from there. It goes all the way up to where it could be hundreds if they have several minutes uninterrupted in a school. Someone has to kill them, confront them in a way that forces them to commit suicide or give up, and that has to happen within 30 seconds. Otherwise, you are doomed to failure with whatever your plan might be for responding to a school shooting. It was incredible to me. And this is data-driven. This is not political. This guy's a cop. So how do you have that pl a plan that accomplishes that? 
And what about the plans that already exist? How faulty are they? We'll get into those things here after we come back from this break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. We're talking about school shootings. You know, people talk about preventing them. Hey, look, that ought to be the goal every time, obviously. And if we can identify someone who's at risk, get them some help, get them committed. If they've committed crimes, get them arrested. Then then that's all great because the best shooting, mass shooting or otherwise, is one that never happens. But in terms of a school responding to mass shootings, Again, the takeaway from this seminar, and this was based on 15 years of study, and everything he said, he backed up with the statistics from the actual school shootings. Again, people say, oh, we can prevent school shootings if we just ban so-called assault weapons. Really? Well, here's 14 school shootings with more fatalities, more casualties than Parkland, where an AR-15 was never used, an assault weapon was never used. So, no. He says it's, it's time and math, the only two things that matter the time that a shooter has in the school unopposed is what would determine the number of of casualties you have. And the only way to have any reasonable expectation you're going to keep casualties, that is less than 10 people shot, casualties under double figures, is to have someone in place who can hear or see the first shots, who's willing and capable of delivering vicious, violent, deadly force against that shooter within 30 seconds. And in that in that context, I mean, the reason the Lieutenant Colonel Monk wanted to have lunch with me before his presentation, he wanted to hear a lot more about the Greenwood Park Mall and my client, Eli Dickin. And, and it came clear to me why he's so interested in that shooting. Again, he studies mass shootings, so I'm sure he's interested in all of them. But he said he was particularly interested in this one. And, and I quickly learned why when I, when I sat through his presentation. Because it was toward the end, and it was actually after he'd made this point about someone willing and capable of delivering deadly force within 30 seconds. Because he put up a slide, and it was so compelling. And again, I'm sitting there with a room full of cops, school resource officers. Other cops, there, there were local cops who just wanted to learn more about responding to a mass shooting. And he said, he said, listen, he said, let's say that we're not all armed to the teeth like we are. I mean, pretty much everybody is cops. We're all carrying guns in this conference room. Let's say we're sitting here unarmed. And somebody walks through that door of this conference room right now and starts shooting us. Which would we rather have? And he puts up the first picture. And it's a SWAT team. He said, an entire SWAT team one hour away. By the time you call 911, they get a hold of the SWAT team, SWAT team assembles, they gear up, they get in the van, they make it to where you are, 30 to 60 minutes. When, keep in mind, somebody has just walked in here with a gun and is killing us. Nobody thinks that's too good of an option. He said, all right, what about a, a well-armed, trained police officer who's 10 minutes away? How many people in this conference room could you kill? And there were, there was a good 150, 200 people in this conference room. How many people could you could you kill in 10 minutes? The, the typical response time for a police officer. And he said a lot of schools, their, their security plan for responding to a mass shooting is just that. It's call 911 and wait. 
Literally, that's their plan. We call 911 and wait. Well, we teach the kids run, hide, fight, but we really de-emphasize the fight part. So what's the, the run? Well, a lot of times they, they don't even allow them to run. Again, as he was trained by the school when he was a high school teacher briefly after his military career, it said, oh, no, you huddle the kids in the corner. Walking into classroom after classroom with a big group of kids huddled in the corner, how many people can you kill in 10 minutes? Literally 100. That's how the, the time and the math work out. And he showed the statistics. The Pulse nightclub in Orlando, 107 people shot. Because that gunman was unopposed. For a really long time. 107 people. So, okay. So, rather than a, a an armed trained police officer 10 minutes away, how about a school resource officer two minutes away? Again, guys walked in the conference room with 150 people in it. He's shooting people. School resource officer two minutes away. Well, that sounds a lot better, but how long would that two minutes be if you're sitting in that conference room with people getting shot all around you? And then he picked a, he put up a picture of Eli Dickin. I was so proud of this because he's been giving this presentation all over the country. He put a picture of Eli Dickin up. And Eli, it's it's like his, I think it's his graduation picture where he's got, you've probably seen it. He's got a plaid shirt on and he's kind of just leaning up against like a light pole or a wall or something. And he just looked really casual. He got like khakis on and a button down shirt. And it said, or an armed citizen 15 seconds away. Again, 15 seconds, pretty still pretty damn long time, but 15 seconds. And that was on this slide. It made me really, really proud of Eli. It made me really proud to be Eli's lawyer. And it made very germane after this presentation that we're selling Sure's to raise money for Eli and for the 2A Project, gun rights organization, to save 15 seconds with a stopwatch on him. It's be like Eli. I showed Mr. Monk, Officer Monk, Lieutenant Colonel Monk, those those shirts. I showed him a picture of him, and he said, man, he goes, with a stopwatch? He goes, that's what it's all about, man. Time and math. This was over lunch before I had heard his presentation. I didn't really know what he meant, but it sure it sure brought that home. And, and, and I'm sorry, what other conclusion could you come to? So, in a school shooting, your kid's in a classroom. And and the, the teacher has them huddled in the corner. Or allows them to, to do whatever in that classroom, in terms of spread out, hide under desk, whatever their options are. What do you want among those options? Do you want that SWAT team 30 to 60 minutes away? Do you want a police officer 10 minutes away? Do you want a school resource officer two minutes away from the time that guy walks in the classroom and starts pulling the trigger? Or would you want that teacher to be able to pull a gun and deliver vicious, brutal, deadly force in the first 30 seconds or less, 15 seconds in Eli's case, in the Greenwood Park Mall? It's an easy answer. It's an easy answer. And by the way, to hear a cop advocating for arming teachers and staff was pretty shocking to me. Because what do you hear from a lot of cops? I won't say most cops or all cops, but a lot of cops you'll hear, well, no, only a trained police officer ought to have a gun in a school. But that's why that slide was so compelling. When he said, which would you rather have? You're getting shot. Or your kid's in a classroom getting shot. SWAT team 30 to 60 minutes away. Police officer 10. Resource officer 2 minutes away. Or an arm willing private citizen 15 seconds away. That's easy. That's easy. And this was fascinating to me. And man, you talk about an uncomfortable room. How'd you think that the 150 or so cops in that room felt about this? Hold on. I came here to talk, to tell this, to hear from this guy that we need to arm teachers and staff. And he even told me, I didn't, I had no idea what he was going to say over lunch though. We were getting ready to go. And uh, and he was to, he was going to go give his presentation. He goes, I'm going to make some people uncomfortable today. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Well, I learned it pretty quick. And it was it was very true. But it, but the, but the the logic is so compelling. It's inescapable. And that one slide said it all. Which would you rather have? So important. And when I told this expert on school shootings about. House Bill 1177 that is now the law of Indiana after July 1st that Jim Lucas wrote and the legislature passed this year to provide training for teachers and funding for that training by school corporations. 
That is, the state will pay for school corporations to train teachers in a standardized curriculum that's better in terms of responding to a mass shooting in a school, better than the firearms training that police officers receive in the academy. Same number of hours, 40 hours, but it's more specifically focused on mass shooting, including field first aid, weapon retention, a lot of things very specific to, to, to responding really, really quickly to a school shooting, which is exactly what we're talking about. We come back, we've got some people on hold. We'll go to the phone lines and we'll wrap up this edition of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back for the last segment here of the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. I've had a couple of people on hold for a long time, so let's go right to the phone lines. John, thanks for your patience, man. You were on hold for a while. What you got? Hey, guy. Uh, glad to listen to your show tonight. Awesome. Uh, I, I just wanted to kind of, you know, get your thoughts on uh, the, the fact that, you know, our government seems to be wanting more gun laws and such. But it seems to me like in the last couple of weeks, you know, I've heard of, you know, like Hunter Biden, for instance, not. Uh, getting prosecuted necessarily for, you know, lying on the 4473. No, well, he is. He just copped a a great deal where essentially he's getting federal diversion is the way I heard. So he actually did get prosecuted. He just got an ultra sweet deal. Okay. And and then, you know, like other like uh, gun uh, laws, you know, being pled down by prosecutors. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a fair question, John. But I got to tell you, I mean, I defend gun cases, so I don't want to be too hypocritical here. I mean, um, I've got several criminal cases going on right now where I don't think my client committed any crime at all. Now, it's technically a gun case because that's what I handle. But I'm, if we go try it, I'm going to um, try very, very hard to have that jury come back with a not guilty verdict. If we reach a plea agreement, it has to be to something so minor that it's acceptable to my client. And... And a lot of times that's based on the weakness of the prosecutor's case. So it could technically be, you know, it would go in the statistics of, ooh, look, a criminal, you know, a gun case got pled down. Well, that's because it's a lousy case and it should be pled down even on good cases. And again, I take those cases I think I should win. But even on good cases, witnesses don't show up uh, or witnesses change their story. Uh, or the victim doesn't even want to participate anymore and testify. And now all of a sudden, the, the case stinks, and the prosecutor maybe can salvage some kind of a conviction out of it by taking you know, a, a, a plea deal, by agreeing to a plea that they can get at least a conviction for something on the books. Um, so you know they don't just get pled down because prosecutors are lazy or bad at their job. A lot of times it can be uh, because it's, uh, the case just stinks, or even if it's a good case at the beginning, it starts to stink because main, the main witness, my main issue a lot of times is witnesses change their story or just don't cooperate and show up. So that then prosecutors' hands are pretty much tied. So wait, I don't want to you know talk too much out of both sides of my mouth because that really happens. And Angela, we don't have a lot of time, but uh, you've been on hold. I wanted to come to you here before the show ends. Thank you. I'd love to ask you a question. Do you understand why? If if people who steal under four hundred ninety nine dollars can get away with it, why couldn't stores or the police make a big list of the people who do this all the time? I was a part of a group that was held at bay. This is something I'm still dealing with. We. We expected this individual to pull a gun. We were all crammed in together, so we really couldn't take him out. The store employees backed off. We went to the store. The store did and Angela, I'm sorry. I should have brought you in earlier. We really uh, don't have a lot of time. But you know what? Why don't you call back next week, and we'll go into more details on that. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.